Welcome to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Welcome to the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association Joma podcast. I'm your host, Elisa Minkin. I am a pediatrician and proud Joma member. And I'm really honored and really excited to be interviewing Dr. Ilana Dumont for the second time. And much to her credit, she dropped everything a couple hours ago to decide to do this with me um, in light of the situation in Israel and the rising anti-Semitism on how to help our children um, first help ourselves and then help our children um, cope with this crisis. Dr. Ilana Dumont is trained to work with young children through adulthood, treating issues such as anxiety and depression. She also provides parent coaching to support parents in their developing strong relationships with their children. She utilizes an integrated approach using evidence-based treatments that include CBT, which is cognitive behavior therapy, mindfulness, exposure treatment, and parent management training. She also believes in the validity of psychodynamic therapy and building a strong therapeutic alliance with her clients. In addition, she works as a school psychologist at a private school in New York City. She understands the inner workings of school-related stress and can be particularly helpful in parenting strategies and developing coping skills for managing school-related anxiety and social dynamics. And she can be found at drilanadumont.com, D-R-E-L-E-N-A-D-U-M-O-N-T.com. Welcome, Dr. Dumont. Thank you so much for joining me again. I'm so happy to be here again. Thank you for having me. I want to thank you for doing it again, but I also want to thank you for your spontaneity. Mm. All right. We literally came up with this a few hours ago. Literally a few hours ago. Yeah. (laughs) So thank you for your spontaneity and for your flexibility. I mean, these are really, really hard times. And I looked up and said, we have to have a podcast episode. I did a lot during COVID about coping and resiliency and haven't done anything on the situation in Israel and how it impacts us and the rise in anti-Semitism and all of this kind of stuff. We have to try to address it. I mean, it's going to be limited, you know, for a one hour podcast is going to barely scratch the surface, but I think that we can hopefully, God willing, with God's help, say some things that, that will be helpful. And so when I looked at your bio, the end of your bio says, um, She understands the inner workings of school-related stress and can be particularly helpful in parenting strategies and developing coping skills for managing school-related anxiety. And I'm like, oh, well, that would be good for what's going on right now, but on steroids, please. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm also thinking back, oh, I put that in my bio. Yes. I mean, this is is my day-to-day, right? Right. When, you know, you have your regular routine and, and way that you just function as a school psychologist, but then- things like this happen in the world and you have to just kind of spring into action and be ready um, to respond to the students and the parents actually. And the parents and see, that's what I've talked about a lot is that I think to help kids, we first have to help ourselves. We have to put our own emotional oxygen masks on. And so I want to let you start with that without spending too much time on it. And, you know, people can definitely look back. I may post some old talks so we don't have to, you know, reinvent the wheel on resiliency and co-regulation and that kind of stuff, but just maybe an overview. Yeah. I mean, I I think, you know, it's, it's funny how you started because about COVID, because I, I would 
God forbid, not liken this to 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 COVID and and that that crisis. But I do find even myself just having similar feelings and and just responses of the unpredictability um, of this situation. And I think that that is what makes this so hard and makes any situation like that hard. Like that's what made COVID hard, at the, especially at the beginning. We did not know um, how long we were going to be in that place for. And so now all the more so Israel, something that we as, as Jews are so connected to and to be in this space of what is going to happen, um, I think is what makes this really, really stressful for, for a lot of us. And Again, I think because of like the heightened emotional piece to this, some of like our our regular coping skills and things that we we like to implement when we need in a time of stress, they, they may not work in the same way. Um, I'm I'm noticing that with myself. I'm I'm noticing that with clients that I see, just with the people that I'm interacting with. Um, I think it really it it would be beneficial to kind of really get back to the basics of what make someone feel comfort, you know, and, and this, again, I, I should also just give the disclaimer that a lot of what I will share in response to any of your questions, like, like I told you earlier is on the immense amount of trainings I've just personally been doing in the last right. two, weeks because this is really something that in my career, I have not had to deal with yet. Um, and so, so something that somebody said, um, again, I can't remember exactly which, which webinar it was on, but, you know, think, Think about the small things like the cup of coffee that that feels so good for you and like take a moment and pick your favorite mug and make it really good and and do the things, the smaller things that just the the 10 to 15 second things that can reset you um, to to continue functioning in your day. I don't know. This isn't it's not so so deep and, and intense, but I think I think a little can go a long way here considering the circumstances. Right, right. And it's also not a sprint, it's a marathon. Yeah. Right. It's it's I've been told that it's different from COVID, which was a very chronic stress and that it was very acute in the beginning, but it's acute becoming chronic. Does that make sense? It does. I think I think like we all had, you know, our own personal narrative or experience of of that, you know, Yuntif ended and we all turned on our phones and, you know, like had this really major shock sensation and then that first day comes and even that day was really difficult and that first week and now we're in this space I think where it's like okay so now we're learning to live knowing that there's this war going on in Israel and so it does become sort of chronic and living in in a heightened state and learning how and 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 even saying this right now makes me feel uh fraudulent in a way because we're here in America right and and I'm you know when then we think about the people actually in Israel, and I actually have a few a few people that I am in touch with in Israel living through this, and just thinking about the the chronic aspect, you know, fr from that lens, thinking about it from here, maybe it is being so far is what makes it actually really hard for us. Right. I don't want to be the American complaining. That's a really right. bad situation right. to get into, but there is a certain aspect of feeling that there's nothing you can do. But I think that there is, and that's where you know healthy coping comes in. Absolutely. But I think also, like if you compare it to COVID, a lot of people were reading the news, they were reading the numbers, and that gave them a sense of control. And what are we doing here by going into the news? Is that giving us any control or maybe something bad? Yeah, I <laughs> actually, yeah. So I I don't even it, it, forget the sense of control. It's actually doing 
harm mm -hmm. the, the more that we are just re-watching these videos and these really, really gruesome attacks um, and reading these like same headlines. And and I again I think I think for some people, or at least I can speak for myself, there's a part of, of you that feels almost maybe like, well, they're suffering, they actually there, and I should suffer too then if I'm here. So let me continue to read these things and watch these videos so that at least I can you know, somehow empathize, but the, the, the repetition of these videos on the brain, I mean, you could probably speak better to this than, than I can from a more of like a neurological perspective, but I've been told that it's, it's actually quite harmful for, for the nervous system to keep watching these. Right. And, and we're not even talking about children. I might have been, you know, they, they no, say get rid, of your, get rid of your social yeah. media for your kids. I mean, when you can't, cause they're older, that's a separate issue. I'm not even up to that. I'm right. up to just the constant, even if you're on WhatsApp. Yes. Right. And and the other issue we're dealing with right now is the rise in anti-Semitism, which is everywhere. It's not just in Israel. And the pressure to to try to, you know, work on that narrative from our end, the sense of responsibility, which which you, you could argue we have actually. I, I actually think that's a great point because I think that that is something that we can be doing here. Right. On and and it's interesting too to think about you know just uh, you know you, you run the show here but if we like whenever to seg into how we are explaining all of these events to our kids you know again that that first day and i've shared here before you know i have three young kids my oldest is turning 8 i did feel i needed to share something about what was happening um because they would inevitably hear it at some point and I, I started the story by showing them a map of Israel, explaining where Gaza was and making it about the fighting over the land. And then slowly over the week, it shifted to this really intense anti-Semitism. And, and as a parent, full transparency, I said, how do I explain this to my children? Like I've been able to shield them from this concept until now. Um, and it's taken on a whole new life with, with how intense... Um, the hatred has become here in America. So I think I think you bring up a really important point. Right, and it's also age appropriate. I mean, do you even have a way? Do you think they they need to hear this? So I think it depends, and and I don't want to get ahead of however you wanted to outline. No, we're going to say we're going to say right where we are. Okay, we're going for it. <laughs> we're going for it. We're talking about talking to little kids. We're going to go right, right into so, it. So I mean, the, my general rule of thumb is is to follow their lead, right? So. If they're going to ask, I'm going to answer. Um, I I I do think that there's opportunity because of how we are going to explain that there's all this fighting going on in Israel. And I've gotten the question, and I know that people have been getting the question of, but why do they hate us so much? Why do these people hate us so much? Um, and so it does come up and there is opportunity to answer that question and introduce that idea that there are a lot of people in the world who really don't like the Jews. Right. You're making a lot of really good points and I want to tease them apart yeah. because one of the points that I wanted to get across from the beginning is what can be very hard for us to do is to talk about things to our kids when we ourselves are not holding in a good place. Yeah. And so I want to go back to that. It's kind of like the concept of co-regulation that before we can help our kids, we have to help ourselves. Yes. And, and that's a really, really important point that I've been stressing to all the parents that I've been working with at the school that I, I work at. Um, you know, when we talk with our kids about anything, any really challenging, difficult topic, 
we need to be in a good space before before speaking to them. We need to be calm. We need to be prepared, not necessarily prepared for any question that they're going to ask us, but but prepared more like in a nonverbal way and in, in having a confident stance when when we're talking to them. Um, because like this idea of co-regulation that you're mentioning, and I know you have many podcasts that address right. this, I won't go into it, but they are watching us. They're watching our response. They're watching every action and nonverbal reaction that we have. And they're seeing the, they're trying to learn about the world through us. So if we are going to deliver difficult news to them, we need to be ready to do that. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't have feelings. Right about the difficult news. And all the more so, it's important that they know that we have the feelings. And the the trick, the trick, tricky piece here is to have the feelings, but to model that we are managing our feelings or show them how we're managing our feelings. Because the, the one thing that you wouldn't want to happen is that your child feels that they then need to take care of you. Right. Um, I think a lot of people also think that, you know, when the way that a kid will develop empathy is by us saying like, oh, look how you, look how sad you made mommy feel, right? Like that, that's a very, you know, even as a psychologist, I I used to do that thinking I was doing the right thing. I'm modeling emotions and I'm letting her know she, she, you know, made me so sad by misbehaving or whatever it was, but really that's just creating burden for them. And right. um, the way empathy is taught is by first helping a person understand their own feelings before they could even begin to, to look at somebody else. So actually we'd wanna model for them something like, I'm going to tell you something a little bit scary that's been happening and I'm having a lot of feelings about it. Um, you might notice that I'm checking my phone a lot. You might notice that I have some tears in my eyes. I'm feeling a little bit nervous. While I'm having these feelings, these are the things I like to do. And I can still take really good care of you, even though I'm having these feelings. I just want you to know I'm still your mom and that, and I'm, and I'm still the mom that can keep you safe. And th those are important words because we wouldn't want our children to feel like, oh, if my mom is having a feeling, it means that I can't have needs or my needs won't be met because we are the people that they rely on to keep them safe. Right. That is so, so, so important. And I just want to underscore the concept of not only is it okay for you to have your feelings, but to talk about them as a way of modeling, but you're showing us a healthy way, but you've also shown us a way that actually adds to our children's burden. Yeah. And I always want to say, it's okay to get it wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my goodness. It, it's, actually, I want to even go as far as to say it's important to get it wrong sometimes. It's, it's really important to be able to go back to your kids and repair and show them that you make mistakes. I think that, you know, a lot of times I work with parents who say to me, my, my children, like, are they're such perfectionists. Like, they'll just throw that word out there. And I, I don't know where it's coming from. Like, I don't put the pressure on them. I tell them, get whatever you get in school. And I sometimes, like, by, by teasing things apart, it, 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 it comes out that, you know, you have a parent who just, a kid, a kid looks at their parent as, as superwoman or Superman, right? You could be doing nothing but just tying your shoes and you do it so swiftly while they're struggling with learning how to tie shoes or button a sweater. It, like it could be as simple as that. They don't know that we mess up. So for us to go back to them and say, you know, I, I made a mistake with something I said before I yelled at you this morning. And that was really because I was having a stressful morning that really had nothing to do with you. That's really important. That's how they learn that, oh, my feelings can get really big sometimes, and we're all learning how to handle them. 
Right. And they're my feelings. They're not your feelings. I mean, that may sound subtle, but it really isn't. One is you're modeling. It's okay to have feelings. I'm going to be honest about those feelings. Um, But the other is somehow asking your child to help you through them. Right. Right. Exactly. It, 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 like you said, subtle, but so big and important um, so that they know that their feelings are separate from ours. So let's, let's just talk for a few minutes about a, a, how a parent can help themselves cope before we go to the kids. Because again, you have those feelings. We all have these feelings. We're all <laughs> struggling through this. There's no easy way through this. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, like I, like I just said before, before anything else, recognize a feeling, like name the feeling, accept that you're having the feeling. I, I, I can't even like tell you the amount of people that say to me, like in a session or, you know, I just like, I don't know why I'm feeling this way or like, why can't I get it? I would really just want everyone to pause and say, this is a really crazy situation. This is a really scary situation. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling angry, whatever it is. And again, like it sounds simple, but it's really, it's really important to be able to just take that pause and recognize and, and, and just acknowledge the feeling that you're having and, and name that feeling. Um, I think again, like you said, like, this is more of like a, not what, what not to do, but I really think it's important now to be minimizing the amount that we're reading and watching. Um, I, of, of course we want to stay up to date. I'm not denying that personally. Like I'm no, I'm no better than anybody else. Um, but I think it's, it's not, it, it, it gets to the point of unhelpful, um, and, and more stress inducing that becomes impairing for people. Um, so I would really like want to contain it. Like I, I, pick 15 minutes in the morning and then 15 minutes in the evening so that you have like your bookends of the day though. That's your news time. That's your social media time, whatever it is. And really like protect yourself from that. I think also like the way we, we talk about predictability and routine for kids. The reason for that is that it, it equates to safety for them, right? Like they know that they're going to eat breakfast when they wake up and then they get dressed and then they go wait for their bus. And then there's a schedule at school. And I think it's the same for adults. Like we thrive on routine. I mean, the, the meeting up tonight was the opposite of, of my routine tonight. <laughs> the, the important- Thank you though. <laughs> if any, anyone who really knows me knows that like we're approaching my bedtime soon, but I've, I've had to stretch myself, um, you know, for, for the current situation. But, you know, I think overall you, you do still want to stick to like a relative routine. I mean, again, I think that with, you know, because of the COVID situation, like um, that was what made that so hard was because everyone had to really like start these new routines. We were all just staying right. This, you know, again, like we are here in America and we need to, we need to put our energy into, into the things that we can be doing for Israel. And, and that also means getting up and going to work. I mean, I was reading someone's Instagram post uh, who has a small business and she said, you know, um, am I allowed to be posting my, the things I, I like to sell? And and then she said, because I need to make money so that I can donate my money. So right. yeah. Right. So like, you know, I just think like, there's a lot of guilt that comes with going about your day when all of this is going on. But I, again, I think you can, you can recognize that. And then there's all, you know, all the therapies of just like the mindfulness and just non being non-judgmental towards yourself. So notice your guilt, see that it's there and accept that. And you can still go to work and get lunch and, and exercise and do the things that, that, 
you know, you need to be doing, which, which also brings me exercise, right? Like, oh yes. An excellent outlet for, for anybody. I mean, my kids know that like I'm on my yoga mat and that is my, that's my thing. And that's my time. Um, and, and lastly, I, I think, you know, just the, the piece about the lack of control. So like, that is what induces a lot of stress and anxiety. And, and so, I mean, everyone, I've been so blown away by the things that people have been doing, but I think that is such an empowering thing and something that you can absolutely take control of pack boxes, donate, you know, supplies and write letters to the soldiers. Like these are the things that, that you can do that are really powerful actions to, to alleviate some of, some of the intense feelings that, we're experiencing. Right. And do them with the children. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the children have been doing, I mean, the children have been doing amazing, amazing things. Every school, every school has been having youth events. I was at the, you know, the the one locally for the kids. It was, it was beautiful. Um, and, and again, like this is such an opportunity to teach, um, you know, activism to, 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 to the kids and, and strengthen the, you know, the connection to Israel. Right, right. These are very positive coping techniques. You, you can't underscore enough how much giving helps and the unity and the davening, all the things that we do. But I want to go back to social media for just a minute because social media is kind of a double-edged sword. Social media could be the way that you're giving, right? Mm-hmm. That you're posting social media things to stand up, you know, for the you know PR aspect or you're fighting on social media. How do you know when it's enough and when it's too much, because that's not something your child will necessarily be doing with you. Right. So, so you're asking about like for the adults. I'm talking about for the adults and we're talking about moderating your social media use. You might say, but, but that's how I give. So that's a tough question. A really tough question. Um, I told <laughs> No surprises. I'm sorry. I came up with that right now. <laughs> thinking I'm going to actually just speak personally. I rarely post because I think about my audience and it's not very diverse, meaning I'm posting to my Jewish friends. Right. So so in that sense, I don't find it super necessary for me to be reposting every single video and headline that that I'm seeing. Right. So so that's like one one piece that I always think about in terms of like, well, should I be like posting all these things? Right. I know that I don't have this audience that's like all over the, the, the country. And you know, that I'm going to be, I guess if everybody said that, then nobody would post anything. Right. But, but I, I guess that's where I'm able to sort of find my boundary in that sense. Right. But for everybody's different, everybody's functioning and coping in different ways. And some of those ways may be easy to bring the children in and some, it might take you away from the children. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Okay. Yeah. I love what you just said, because I know that whether war or no war, our devices are always taking us away from our children. Right. So I, again, like I could be reading something so benign and, and meaningless. And if my child asks me a question while I'm doing that, my irritability is way higher than if I were fully present with them. It's like, as if they're actually interrupting something really important that I'm doing. And it's so unimportant what I'm doing. So all the more so you're, you're watching war right. videos like you are not going to be in a calm state to be around your children. I, I, I was working with one family and we, we decide again, it wasn't even war related, but let's make a space where there's no screens, no news, no TVs, no computers. And like, this is the, the calm space for you to play with your child where there's like zero distractions and, and really mainly zero screens, because that is always go. That is most 
likely the thing that that takes away our presence from our kids right now. Right. I'm talking about a trickier situation. That's all really good information, but I'm talking about a trickier situation where your coping techniques, say you're more of an advocate kind of person and you are working day and night for the CLAL on your phone, making phone calls. I'm just saying, like, how do you moderate that? I think maybe to be aware that you still have to have healthy boundaries. I mean, this is always an issue for some people, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I'm thinking about who's, who's my, who, what, what's my goal here right now is to think about how we're best helping our kids. So if, if that is an, an inevitable, which I'm not sure if that's what you're saying or not, but let's say it's a, it's, it's an activist and this is where her work is, right. Which I actually fully respect that. Right. I wouldn't, I would name that for, for the kids. And that would be the way that I would recommend handling it. And, and to really get a focused, present conversation with them to say, this is going to be a time that I am going to be on my phone. I, if you see me on my phone, you are right. You don't have all of me right now. And I, I would name that for them so that they never feel that it is their fault in any way that, that you're kind of being distracted. Um, and then to, to balance that, you know, even if it's five, 10 minutes, I tell this to parents all the time, give the kid the five, 10 minutes right. of the no phone, right? Fill them up at, at a different time to, to counter it. Right. And also to be honest with yourself, that maybe this is what you're doing because you are trying to cope mm -hmm. and it may have gone over the edge from what's appropriate for you in your particular situation for your children, right? For your family situation. I'm just throwing it out there. Because I know everybody's coping, coping in different ways. I want to take a few minutes to talk about when you're not coping. What can mm. you do? Like seek help, you mean? <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about the adult. I mean, how would you know when you're really not coping in a healthy way and what can you do about it? Because yeah. it can't be that everybody is managing to stay no. in a healthy enough space. It can't be. Yeah, I think that's a that's a that's a really good and also tricky question because again, the nature of this particular situation is so different than most traumas that that people are experiencing. Um, and again, everyone's experience is is literally different when when it comes to this. Meaning, there are the people who have been here in America this whole time. There's there's people who got you know, were there for Sukkot and got and got back or couldn't get back right away, right? And and had the experience of going into bomb shelters. And then there's the people that are in Israel literally living living through it on the ground. Um, I mean, when it comes down to knowing, do I need to seek help like more from like a clinical place? We're always go going to look at, you know, it, it, how impairing are your symptoms? How distressing are your symptoms? You know, are you eating? Are you sleeping? Um, I, I think- you know, the, the physical stuff is really always a, a good marker and indicator mm -hmm. of, of how you're functioning. I do think, though, that at this time, you know, again, I, I'm speaking like anecdotally and just from the people I've been interacting with in the last two weeks, you know, specifically people who were there for Sukkot and then came back right. um, pretty traumatized. And, you know, I, I think time helps also um i mean your question is when does someone know if they if they need help if I, they need to seek help and i think there's a continuum of help too right i don't think there's any shame in going to speak to someone you don't have to be you know having full-blown anxiety depression or ptsd to talk to oh, someone. of course not i'm right. i'm i'm coming at it from like more um of, of like a criteria you know like where where do you fall and should you really get help i mean anyone should should get help if they want the help right right um, that goes without saying. Right. 
No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. (laughs) As a pediatrician, I'm telling you, it doesn't. Fine. You're right. But, um, but, but more if, if you, if you're concerned about yourself, you know, the, the, the things I mentioned would be the things to, to but you need to be able to function. You need to be able to function. You can't say this is an excuse for not functioning. And so it's not just a matter of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's getting help if you need it. And now what about our kids? So with our kids, it's a little trickier just because their symptoms can look different sometimes than adults. Um, but same, same things that I, that I just said, you know, if, if you're, if you notice a major behavior change in your kid, um, appetite changes, sleep changes, um, you know, those real basic functioning changes, then, then I would tune into that. Um, I also would pay attention to kids who have any pre, um, predisposed anxiety, um, if, if they're more prone to, to anxiety or depression or have experienced a trauma in the past, this would be a time that I would tune into them more. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, and then with like really little kids play, their play is, is a window into their whole world. Right. So if they're, you know, kind of, if their play is getting really aggressive, that doesn't necessarily worry me. And it, it actually doesn't worry me at all. I think it's just showing you, oh, they're thinking about this. Right. So I would really pay attention to the play to help them process, not necessarily because you're saying, oh, like they're they're guns in their play now. And there's a lot of blood that they keep talking about. I actually like wouldn't really worry about that. I would. But I would want to get on the floor with that child and and really process it with them. Um, so, yeah. That's really helpful. I want to go back over talking to kids because we did a lot of all the ground setting right about us. <laughs> We talked a little bit and I want to work in social media and different ages because, you know, the best thing to do is to keep your child away from social media for as long and extensively as possible. Um, and then they get older. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I'm with you. I think hold off on those phones for as long as you possibly can. I overheard my daughter say to my mother, I don't think my mom's ever getting me a phone. And I said, she is right right I said okay this is working um but she's how old I'm sorry she's what gonna be eight so (laughs) um but no it's scary I I think that you know for the younger kids like we're saying we can shield them a bit because of that right I I will tell you that my daughter does see me on my phone and will say did something happen did you see something? Can you tell me what's happening? You know, uh, related to Israel, like she, cause I, like I said before, I did say to her, you're going to notice me checking my phone more. Um, but when it comes to the older kids, I think this would be, I mean, I, I say this to parents all the time, war or no war, you have every right and should be monitoring your, your child's phone, your teenager's phone. I think that that is, can absolutely be a family rule and a condition of of giving your child a phone and social media. Um, I think that the other really um, important message to reinforce when it comes to social media and phones with teenagers is, and I and this is also about like going on the school bus and going to school every day and just interacting with kids, but you're gonna see and hear a lot of information and I want you to come to me and ask me and tell me what you're seeing um, because we can't shield those kids. That's right. the, so I think it's appropriate to have access, to have their passwords, to be able to check everything that that you're able to. Um, but I think that the more important message is that you should really 
be having conversations with them about whatever it is that they're seeing. Well, let's go into that a little bit about the conversations. Now I'm talking about the older kids. So beyond eight, we're talking about, you know, a preteen, a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, these are going to be some real hard conversations. So do you mean specifically related to the war? Or? Um, specifically related to the war. Yeah. So, so the, th- so teenagers. And, and anti-Semitism as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so with teenagers, like we have to assume that they know because whether it's come, and this is why I think it needs to come from us, because if it doesn't, they, the school bus right. owns their friends, um, want like 120%, they are going to be hearing everything. So to, to preempt it with the, with, you know, a conversation about that about you being honest with them, that you will tell them and answer any questions. Now, it doesn't mean that you need to then go telling them every gruesome detail, but that they should feel that they could ask you anything that's on their mind. Um, I think the hard thing with teenagers also is that they are experiencing a lot of emotions regardless at their right. development stage of life, right? Um, and they are also at a place in their life that I think empathy is possible, right? Like a little kid, we are really trying to help them develop that skill. But by the time they're teenagers, they really do have that ability to put themselves in some in someone else's shoes. And I think that could actually make things kind of scary for them when it comes to, to this situation, because they are having thoughts of being in Israel and being a teenager in Israel, or what, I mean, I don't want to speak for a teenager, but this would be a conversation you'd want to engage in with them. Like, what, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Um, about about the people in Israel um, and being able to to validate anything that they're going through. I think that the, you know, the number one job of a parent we know is to keep their kids safe. But that also just means, that also means emotionally safe. I think it's a really like loaded question right now with everything going on. Like, are we keeping our kids safe? Like that's, that's a really scary question for a Jewish parent right now. Um, but if we're just going to stick with like the emotional safety, right? Right. That would mean hearing them, seeing where they are and validating whatever experience they're having. So so I think that is the most important when it comes to teenagers. Um, I think another, another big scary question is, this probably will lead more into the anti-Semitism conversation, but would be, well, like, why, why is there so much hatred or like, why do these bad things happen to these good people? Um, these bigger existential questions that I think can can start to come from adolescence. And these are questions that I think that like adults struggle with too. Right, right. So how are we answering those questions for them? Um, I am always a fan of being really honest and telling them that we don't always know. Right. And, and that might feel unsettling for you as the adult to say, but I think an honest answer will always feel better for your child than than you speaking in like vague terms and roundabout and showing them that your discomfort with a question like that. Um, so, so saying something like, wow, you are really thinking about these things. Like these are some really big questions and I have the same one that I'm so, I, I, I wish I had good answers for you. Like we don't always understand Hashem's ways and that's, that's right. Just- and and you can learn together, right? I mean, you could learn a sefer, you could speak to a rabbi, you could read other sources. But I think that honesty is so important. But I think you also need to be honest. We talked about this earlier when you're not capable of answering. Yeah. I think it's always okay to say at this moment in time, I'm really having a hard time, but I'm going to get back to you. 
Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. And I was like in my head thinking, I have to say that too. Right? <laughs> We're on the same plane here. <laughs> yes. I think that even comes up more with little kids because a lot of times they'll ask you these really like unexpected, shocking questions at the worst time, right? <laughs> and, and so you wanna so so it is always permitted to look at them and say, that is an amazing question and I am going to get back to you. And then you really do need to get back to them, but it is always fine to go consult or ask someone else, what do I say, right? Or Google even, but but always that is more, that is so much more genuine and will feel so much better to them than a fake, a fake answer. Right. And also saying to them, hey, I struggle with that too. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's fine. That's honest. Mm -hmm. That can be hard though. I think it's hard because I think that we also as parents feel like we always have to have the answers and, the, and that we always need to fix everything for them, which actually makes me, I, I wanted to add that on earlier, yes. you know, where, when our, when our teens are, are struggling during, especially during this time, you know, we want to provide safety and comfort, but we don't need to remove these feelings from them. Right. Right. Well, this is where, and again, I don't want to be repetitive to the other podcast, but. Oh, there you go. I know where you're going. <laughs> This is where resiliency comes from, right? Like right. this is where confidence comes from. This is where all those good things that we want for them, like, you know, this is where this is where we build those muscles. So if, you know, we don't, it's hard to watch our kids struggle and struggle right. with these questions and with these really scary, scary, scary things happening in the world right now. And so it makes sense that they feel scared and nervous and and the, the our presence and our listening is the number one thing that that they need. This. Right. But I'm just thinking how hard it is to tolerate our own pain, to tolerate our children's pain. Well, then this be... goes back to the first part of the conversation. So you have to take care of yourself first. Right. No, but what I'm saying is even harder than tolerating your discomfort is your child's pain that you can't fix. Totally. It's, I don't, yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a magic. We answer. don't have easy answers for any of this. Let's be honest. This is really hard stuff, but I think it goes back to being honest again and naming the feeling. I really want to thank you for doing this. We could be talking about this all night, but it's also, we are so drained, right? So tired. <laughs> I just thought it was so important to get it out there. It doesn't have to be, you know, a long thing. Um, but I think that this was a really, I hope it is helpful for people. And I really, really appreciate you dropping everything to do this. And now I'm going to let you put your kids to bed. Time for you, really. <laughs> and and this should be as a host for peace everywhere, right? And we we should hear good news. We should hear good news. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, Check out our Instagram at Joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.